Pittsburgh Steeler fans. It is time for the second half of our show, that show being Know Your Enemy, of course. My name is Michael Beck, joined with Jeffrey Benedict, and we are hanging out tonight. The first half of the show, we really tried to focus on the Steelers-Panthers matchup uh, that uh, we will see in this uh, finale of the preseason for the Pittsburgh Steelers, of course, heading into this matchup 3-0 and uh, with a perfect record on the line. Not that that really matters in the preseason, but uh, I guess that's what's uh, at, uh, at stakes here. Uh, the second half today, uh, we're going to kind of look at uh, the Steelers training camp uh, up to this point because really it's basically over, basically into the regular work week for the team now, uh, where we think the cuts are going to be because they'll come very quickly uh, after this final preseason game is played. Uh, so, Jeffrey, as we sit here right now, what are your overall thoughts on the Steelers preseason uh, and your kind of biggest takeaways from the three games and uh, all the reports that have come out? Uh, at training camp over the last couple of weeks? My key takeaways, uh, number one, was Ben Roethlisberger's play. He didn't play much, but what he showed in that was, you know, what we haven't really seen since I'd, since I'd say 2017. I don't think we've seen, seen Ben play like that since 2017. Uh, so that's that's a big one. That's, that's the biggest takeaway to me. Uh, after that, you know, Pat Fryermuth, uh, Najee Harris, and, you know, Kevin Dotson. The Matt Canada offense with these young players is going to be really, really good. I, I should say they have the potential to be really, really good. They have the potential to be really, really good on offense. Uh, and and the other one of the other takeaways I'd have is, is most of the holes on defense are filled. Most of the holes are filled across the board. Most of them are filled. Uh, and there's a few spots to concern with, but but that's a big takeaway. Most of them are filled. And I think this team is in a really good spot heading into the regular season. Yeah, I, I think for me, my biggest takeaway is that this team, for much of the offseason, we're seeing ourselves, oh, they, they could be really good. They could be average. They could be really bad. Like there's a ton of question marks. And at this stage, I feel like those question marks have been answered all in the positive direction uh, to a team that uh, still has a shot to compete for a championship. Uh, will it be a hard road? Absolutely. But at least they put together the personnel that uh, is, is talented enough to at least have a shot. I think that's what we have. Now, you mentioned Najee Harris, and today uh, Coach Tomlin was kind of breaking down the players that, or at least some of them, that who will and who won't be playing. Uh, when asked about Najee Harris specifically, uh, Coach Tomlin said he wouldn't be playing in this game. And then he was kind of questioned on that because early in the preseason, uh, Coach Tomlin said Najee Harris would be playing in every single preseason game. Uh, answering that question, uh, he said something along the lines of, yeah, I did say that, and then winked at the reporter. Um, to me, what that says is that uh, Najee Harris has left a very big, very huge impression on this coaching staff, that th this guy's a dude, this guy's already looked at as a vet, this guy's earned his stripes. And this, this kid's going to be special. And I think we've seen some of those in a number of runs already, just the, this preseason alone. Do you agree with that, Jeffrey? Is that uh, why uh, the, the change of tune is coming from the Steelers coaching staff? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Najee Harris has earned it. He really has. And I, and I think it's more of a situation where they're going to have to be like, hey, Najee, you're sitting this one out. Like, it's a long season. You don't need to go out there and win a preseason game for us. Like, we don't need you to do that. <laughs> Uh, we need you week one. We need you week 17. We need you week 18, 19, and, and hopefully, you know, the end of the season here. So uh, very, 
Very pleased with him. Very pleased with his production. Very pleased with the talent he shows, the vision, the instincts. He he is just he is something else. Yeah, it really is. Uh, honestly, I had to write an article about this because all the reports on on the rookies coming out of camp, they they've been really really good, and it seems like each and every one of them will make some sort of an impact, if not as a direct starter and a, a direct player that's going to be getting the ball a ton as a primary backup. And that's pretty much the case with each and every one of those nine picks they made. Uh, and that comes on the heels of every single draft pick of the 2020 class making the team last year. Um, do you do you think this is a special draft class that could uh, touch what the Steelers did maybe in 2017, uh, getting four impact starters from that class? Uh, could it be better than that? Is this, uh, is this one of those draft classes that uh, you look at now and you say – Wow, good job, Kevin Colbert. Uh, you really made this team uh, something special with uh, with your picks. Well, let's let's go through it really quick. I mean, you start with Najee Harris. He looks legit, uh, and and he is he is going to be the best running back that has been on the field since Le'Veon Bell before his second injury. Okay, before he lost his speed, I I think he's already. At that late Le'Veon Bell level, I think he's more talented, and I think he's going to get—he's going to be a Le'Veon Bell, uh, and he could even be—he could even outplay Le'Veon Bell if he stays healthy. Because Bell—Bell lost all his speed. He had a couple of injuries. He lost a lot of speed, and he was never, you know, quite as effective as he had been. He was—he was still great back, but he just was never as dynamic as he should have been if he, if those injuries hadn't taken their toll like that. Uh, You—you've got Pat Fryermuth, who looks like he could be the best. He could push. Heath Miller for being the best tight end the Steelers have ever had. Like he looks that good as a rookie uh, that he has that level of potential. Kendrick Green, his upside is is, is pouncy level. He has pouncy level upside. Uh, with he's not doesn't have the consistency. He's not as NFL ready as pouncy was. That's why he's a third round pick and not a first. Um, but he has that level of ability. And then you've got Dan Moore Jr. who looks like an absolute steal at this point. You've got Buddy Johnson who's showing uh, the kind of talent and and a few f- flashes that he has the ability that he's going to be something special. Uh, you've got the punter, right? So that's another impact player even in the seventh round. I mean, he's a kicker. It's not that big a deal, but it's it's still a player. And and uh, I'd say Trey Norwood looks like he's a guy who's going to stick around. Like they're already expanding his job. They're not they're not protecting him as much. Uh, so I, I think, yeah, I think there's some, there's some decent depth picks, but at the top there, I think you've got four guys who look like they could be impact starters. Fr- frankly, all four of them could be impact starters this year. It's just whether Dan Moore gets the chance or not. Yeah. I a hundred percent agree with that. Like even Isaiah Loudermilk's getting this, these rave reviews from his teammates. He, he seems like he's going to be a guy for, uh, kind of that next generation on Steelers defense line when they try to transition to uh, to the younger guys from the old guard that are still playing at a very high level, so he won't be getting any opportunity anytime soon. Uh, Quincy Roche, he looks like he's a stud pass rusher, but the Steelers have a lot of those and uh, might have someone even better than Jameer Jones, which is pretty crazy. So, uh, yeah, this draft class is one that uh, could really turn the tide. If you string – draft classes like this year after year for, for a number of years, you're, you're contenders and you're contending for at least five years. And really that's, that's all you can ever hope for. And and hopefully this is kind of the, the kind of diamond in the crown at the end of uh, Kevin Colbert's uh, Steelers tenure. But uh, 
what do you think of the other new guys? Now, uh, since the last time we talked, uh, we hadn't seen Joe Schobert play his first Steelers action. Is, is he going to be a dude for this team? Is is that uh, like an A-plus pickup for the Steelers, uh, just one game in? I don't know if I'd say A-plus, but it's definitely in the A category. Uh, he looked slow in the way that, like, he's still thinking – but I mean, he he hadn't even been there a full week. Like he hasn't been on the team a week yet, and he's he's not. So he he's getting his feet wet. I, I I think he's probably has to play this week. You almost think he'd have to just to get some snaps in the defense and be able to call, you know, put him in there, give him a bunch of backups, and let him try and call the defense and tell him what to do. See how it works, you know. Uh, but I liked what I saw. I think he is going to fit very well with Devin Bush. Uh, once they get accustomed to each other, I, I really think they fit well together. Okay. We've broken down uh, a couple position battles before on the show already, but let, let, let's get in some other ones. Of course, we started off the earlier today with uh, uh, Dan Moore over Joe Haig, and we we're in agreement on that. Also talked about the running backs, and uh, I, I, I will get your thoughts on this, but uh, we, we pretty much kind of outlined who we thought was going to win these spots. But uh, behind Najee Harris, uh, how does this depth chart round out? Uh, I, I think you've got Najee, and then then Ballage and McFarland are, are different backs. So I think you're going to see Ballage more as Najee's backup and McFarland as the change of pace guy. So I think they'll both get snaps based on you know how much they're running, how much rest they want, how much snaps they want to give, uh, how many touches they want to give Najee Harris. Uh, but that's 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 really it. I think that's kind of a balanced situation. They're going to use both of them, kind of how they use Jalen Samuels and Benny Snell to back up James Conner, uh, but you know based on the situation and what they were looking at. So I, I think both of them will play, and I don't think anyone behind them at this point matters. I agree with that, and the way I'd rank them, uh, the depth chart would, it might be better to rank them based on like touches. Uh, of course, Nashi Harris at the top, then I think Anthony McFarlane yeah. gets the next most, and uh, Kalen Balage after that. But I, th- I think those are the yeah, three. Um, quarterback, we don't really need to spend any time on. Dobbs is the guy getting cut. Haskins is three. Rudolph is two. Roethlisberger's one. Whether you like it or not, that's uh, that's just the way that this cookie's going to crumble. Uh, tight end, there is a competition for that third spot between Gentry and Raider. Uh, Gentry, of course, you have a little bit more size there. He might be a, a better, more consistent blocker, but then with Raider, you get an impact special teams player and a pretty good, dar- pretty darn good blocker as well, and someone who's uh, very uh, willing to get his nose dirty in those uh, kind of greasy areas of the field. But uh, where, where do you see this one shaking out? Well, I would watch to see how they play them to this time because I was surprised watching – the game against the Lions to see Zach Gentry on the field with Ben Roethlisberger in a game where they played both Eric Ebron and Pat Fryermuth. They made sure to get Zach Gentry snaps with the first team offense in line at tight end. He's a heck of a blocker. I mean, that's he's really going to be that role. And Here's here's the thing. It's it's a weird thing in Canada's offense. It's not so much there's a number one tight end and a number two tight end and a number three tight end. There's your there's like spots. There's your inline tight end spot and there's more of your H back moving around spot. But inside of that, you have kind of this blocking role that will just show up in the game. It's not like they only show up when the starter needs a break or like you know 
third period or they're only in for a second tight end or if someone's injured. No, he'll he'll come in. And they and we saw that where Zach Gentry was on the field with three wide receivers, a running back, Ben Roethlisberger, and he was the tight end. You got Najee Harris, Zach Gentry, and Ben Roethlisberger. And it's it, I was just stunned to see that. But that's that's kind of a Canada thing. Uh, so for me, if you want to go overall situation, I think Zach Gentry has it largely wrapped up uh, unless we see Kevin Rader out there first, in which case you can say, okay, maybe they just, you know, we're giving these guys shots uh, at different times and they're going to balance it. Cause sometimes Tomlin will do that, but seeing Jack Gentry out there with the first string uh, makes me think he he's got this locked up. Uh, yeah. You know what? Kevin Rader came Bruce on the scene last year. Uh, I believe it was the Colts game when he was knocking heads on a kickoff team and uh, making some blocks. So I, I still think he's a shot. It'll be interesting. Maybe maybe they settle with the size, but uh, you don't really know, and uh, we'll find that one. I think that one's a tighter one than a lot of people may think, and it'll be uh, interesting to see how that one uh, shakes out. But the last kind of offensive position where I'd say there really is a uh, position battle because Kendrick Green's already kind of wrapped up that center spot. The fifth wide receiver position is still up in the air. It, right now it really feels like it's Ray Ray McLeod or one of like six dudes. Uh, to me, I, I think Matthew Sexton might uh, actually be leading the way, and really this game kind of determines who's going to win that spot because I wouldn't be surprised it, no matter which way it, it uh, kind of winds up. But who do you think is going to be the, the fifth receiver, and d- do they have to be a kick returner uh, if uh, if that's what uh, they kind of go with at that spot? Well, the way the roster is built right now, the punt returner, there's no other punt returner on the roster. The fifth wide receiver has got to be the punt returner. Uh, so I think that really limits it kind of down to Sexton and, and Ray Ray McLeod, which to me is actually kind of sad because I've liked some of the other guys. Uh, Anthony Johnson has made plays on special teams and he's shown a bit, but he hasn't gotten much time. Uh, he didn't get much time. Then, then there's some other guys who are, who are looking pretty good, but yeah, I think it's basically Sexton or McLeod. Yeah, that's kind of the, the way that uh, I'm thinking it, it shakes down to. Uh, Sexton's been the more d- dynamic returner this year, so it'll be it'll be kind of interesting to see where that goes. But uh, flipping things over to the defensive side of the football, the one spot we've talked a, a lot about, we talked a lot of uh, a lot about it before the draft. Then we talked about it a ton after the draft because they drafted another guy at the spot. But the interior defensive line, my goodness, is that room filled to the gills who is getting the axe because we know there's a ton of dudes there and at least one of them is going to get chopped they, they just cannot physically keep all of them and like maybe they squeeze someone on the practice roster but it just does not seem likely yeah um and here's the, the interesting thing to me is do they keep seven do they keep six or do they keep seven on the defensive line is going to be a thing to watch uh because if they only keep six, they they sometimes only keep six. Right now, you've got the first four are Hayward, Tuit, Alu-Alu, Wormley. Behind that, consistently, we've seen Henry Mondo. Uh, when 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 the starters are out, it's it's Wormley and Mondo every time. And when they've put uh, Carlos Davis and Isaiah Loudermilk in, as kind of rotating in early in a game, they haven't done as well. So I think Henry Mondo is kind of locked into your number five spot. He also plays a lot of special teams. He has a lot of value there. That's big. So I, I think Mondo is really locked into the number five spot. And at that point, you've got 
Carlos Davis, Isaiah Bugs, and uh, Isaiah Loudermilk sitting there fighting for the number for for potentially one spot, maybe two. Uh, I think Isaiah Bugs, from some of the comments he's had, I, I think he's the most likely cut there. But he's also one of the few guys they've been playing at nose tackle. They've actually put him in at nose tackle if, before Carlos Davis. Uh, so I, I'm mm, there's there's a lot of question marks there. There's a that is a really interesting battle, and that is one uh, that I think is key in this game is who's playing the best of Carlos Davis, Isaiah Loudermilk, and Isaiah Bugs, and can two of them play well enough to convince the Steelers to keep seven defensive linemen? I think they have to carry seven again, just with the amount of talent they got. Uh, Carlos Davis, we also got to keep in mind, he's running down a kickoff. He, he's in that Mondo, Mondo role now. He's the special teams defensive lineman. I I don't know. I, I've been saying it all along that Isaiah Bugs is the one that's going to get the snips. And uh, I, I'm going to stick with that. I'm going to let, let it roll at this point. That's uh, that's my guess. Keeping seven defensive linemen and getting rid of Isaiah Bugs seems to make the most sense because it allows you to keep all your young talent all your main guys for, for right now. Uh, Isaiah Bugs isn't going to be a starter in the future. Like that that ship has sailed. Uh, but Carlos Davis and Isaiah Loudermilk, both of those guys still have the opportunity to really grow into something. Uh, and I think and Henry Mondo's past Isaiah Bugs. So I agree. I think Isaiah Bugs is going and the Steelers keeping seven make the most sense. And you know what? Loudermilk, they, they invested way too much to, to get rid of him at this point. He's essentially a yeah. fourth rounder next year to them. Uh, and, and he's been improving, and he's looked good in practice. So there's no way Loudermilk's going anywhere, either, in my opinion. So it'll be it'll be fun to see how that one shakes down. Of course, uh, Bugs and Davis were the people uh, fist fighting, I believe, on the Ravens sideline uh, last year. And now they're quite yep. literally fighting for their Pittsburgh Steelers uh, career. So we'll see uh, we'll see how that one uh, ends up, and who's get, who's taking the jab, and who's uh, who's receiving it. So. It'll be, uh, it'll be funny uh, to see how that one kind of winds up. I'm sure there'll be a, a meme or two uh, kind of revolving around that uh, that punch. <laughs> um, the next position that uh, I want to get into, I, I think it's probably best off to kind of lump them together, and that's both linebacker spots because the Steelers traditionally carry nine linebackers total, inside and outside. Uh, one year it could be five outside linebackers. One year it could be five on the inside. Who are going to be that five? Because currently the Steelers could quite easily carry 10 total, heck, even 11 uh, at both positions combined. So uh, how, do you, how do you see this one shaking out? Well, we've got – I think we have the first four. They've been showing us uh, the first three outside linebackers and the first four inside linebackers, uh, where I think really Marcus Allen has has already secured that spot, in my opinion. Uh, obviously, you know, that could change. It can change in the fourth, but he is definitely in the lead. He has a pretty nice lead, in my opinion, for that spot. Uh, so, so I think I think really on the on the inside linebackers, uh, you're, you're keeping, obviously, Bush and, and Schobert. Uh, but I think Spillane is your number three behind them and Marcus Allen behind that and then Buddy Johnson. Uh, and as I explained in, in my other podcast, like, like that puts a lot of pressure on the outside linebackers when you get past Melvin Ingram and you get to Jerron Jones and you get to uh, Quincy Roche, they're fighting, not just, you know, each other for a spot, uh, but they're also fighting to see if, if both of them can stay, you've got to knock one of those inside linebackers off the roster and you're not knocking the fourth round pick out very easily. 
and you're really going to have a hard time narking out Marcus Allen. He has been phenomenal on special teams, and he has been significantly improved at linebacker this year. He is looking much better, uh, much more comfortable, much more confident, and with better execution in the defense. He just looks very, very much improved. Yeah, I... What's tough is they have so much talent on the edge. Like, uh, uh, to me, like uh, I'm just giving Cassius Marsh his golden ticket because uh, we know how how big of a fan I I am of his, and uh, <laughs> try to keep room for both uh, Jones and Roche. Uh, like, I, I know they're both not going to be long term options on this team, uh, but at least one of them might have a shot at developing. And right now, I, I feel like Jabir Jones is probably uh, the leader when it comes to those kind of bottom three outside linebackers. So. It'll be a decent, uh, a decent kind of thing to watch. But whoever's taking that spot, it's going to be that last linebacker spot, the number nine spot. It's going to be the best special teamer. That's what it comes down to. It's not going to come down to who's a, a great edge rusher. Like we saw that with Tuzar Skipper, who what had a, a four sack game or what, whatever it was in the preseason. It, like it didn't matter. He, he wasn't the special teams guy, and that's exactly what you need from your depth options at that what? position. Well, that's one of my thoughts is we we love Quincy Roche and Jerron Jones, but really, have either of them shown in this preseason what what we even saw from Ola Denii and Tuzar Skipper in the preseason, and neither of them were anything. Those guys weren't anything special in the NFL. And I honestly don't think Quincy Roche has shown up as well as Tuzar Skipper did. So I I I like some of his moves. I like some of his stuff, but I've got to wonder, is this guy a real NFL player? Is he like, you know, is it, was he a really talented college player? Who's just not big and strong enough to be an NFL dude. Is he going to be, you know, like, like kind of the uh, Jarvis Jones mold where, yeah, you can, you can, you can light up these other guys, but you get to the NFL and no one's intimidated by you. No one's worried about you. You're nobody. Yeah. Oh, geez. That just brings up some bad memories. So we should move on to the next position battle. Uh, <laughs> The outside cornerback spot opposite of Joe Hayden, first of all. Um, I, I understand the sub-packages, the, the, the players could change on this, but who's going to be starting at that opposite corner spot? Opposite of Hayden? Yeah. In the regular season or in this game? In the regular season. In the regular season, it's going to be Sutton. It, it's going to be Sutton. I don't think James Pierre can overtake Sutton for the, the number two guy. Uh, I think they're just going to slide Sutton inside because Pierre can't play. Pierre can't play nickel. They haven't put him there. He doesn't know the position. It'll be interesting because Pierre's had a really good camp from uh, like most sources. And then he's played well in the preseason. We've been able to see it. He had that great game against the Browns in the playoffs. Oh man. I, I feel like he, he, if he's not the starter in week one, I think he will start a handful of games down the stretch. Like, like that's honestly how I feel with his development and how good he's looked over time. I think that's exactly how that could play out. But when it comes to the slot right now with the missing bodies, it seems like uh, bouncing Sutton down in that spot and then putting Pierre on the outside is the, the most logical thing. Is is that how you see that, uh, that kind of wrapping up too? That's how the Steelers will play it. Uh, I, I have been vocal about this from the start. I, I thought the best – option really for the Steelers when Mike Hilton left uh, was to see what James Pierre could do in the slot, see what he could be as the nickelback as, and actually playing in the slot because he's more physical. He's got the execution. I think he really fits what you want in a nickel corner 
uh, the Steelers have not agreed with me, and they keep him outside where he's been very good, but you've also seen how he can get beaten a bit with uh, – he, he struggles with the quicker cuts. Like those – if you just run straight at him and then cut inside, if you're able to do that well, he's not as quick to recover to that, and he will give up those passes, uh, much like Steven Nelson did his in 2019, his first season here. Uh, so so P- Pierre has some vulnerabilities. I actually, I actually like Sutton better outside than I like Pierre, uh, and I would have loved to have seen Pierre get a shot at the nickel, but they didn't do that. So it looks like Cameron Sutton in the nickel is it uh, until teams make their cutdowns and the Steelers add somebody because I really, really believe the Steelers are going to add somebody to play the slot. Yeah, and oh man, with the amount of money they freed up, I think something along those lines is coming as well. Um, I guess before we wrap up the show today, uh, a TJ Watt extension seems imminent. Is that uh, for sure going to be done after like a, within a, a couple hours of this Panthers game ending? Is this just a vet move on TJ's part? This deal's done. He just doesn't want to play any preseason games that uh, no one's going to remember anyway. So what's the point? I'll sign the deal uh, one minute after the game's done. Is, is that kind of what uh, what you're thinking? Well, if you're a guy who is going to show up to camp when you're under contract, and do what you're supposed to do when you get the deal you want. Like, this is your chance. This is your, really, your one chance to sit out and not do the stuff you don't want to do that nobody wants to do. You can pull that. He has the leverage. He can pull that. Uh, so I, I do think that is a thing. And and I think the uh, the story of the fourth preseason game will be the announcement of TJ Watt being extended. It'll happen during the game. Is, is this your bold prediction? Yeah, that's like... Think about the timing. That's perfect timing. That is absolutely perfect timing. You wait till like halftime and you announce, oh yeah, by the way, we signed TJ Watt. And then try to get more eyes on the game sort of thing. Is that, is that uh, the, yeah, the like people, mindset? People are like, oh, we're talking about that. You know, like I, I think, I think it would be a great thing. Yeah. And it, it's a Friday. We know sports teams love Friday news dumps, typically bad news. So they don't have to address it for a while, but that'd be a, a pretty good, uh, feel good story. Heading into the weekend, uh, a week before, uh, well, I guess technically a bye week for uh, the NFL teams on the horizon after that. Uh, a few more minutes left, and Joe Hayden again was asked about it at extension talks. Uh, do, do you think that is a deal that also could happen uh, shortly thereafter TJ's is done? I doubt it would be immediately after. Like, I think they'll give it because the, that's, that's another thing you can hide. You know, you can hide bad news with under the uh, Joe Hayden signing extension. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, maybe a cut down day uh, that comes out. So, yeah. uh, like if like if they aren't able to sign a, a slot cornerback and they're stuck with what they have, they'll just be like, "But we extended Joe Hayden. Look at that party!" Oh, <laughs> uh, you know what? There is one last position battle that we should talk about before uh, we hang things up today. I'm sure you know exactly what's coming. Um, the battle of everyone's favorite Pittsburgh Steelers player, one Presley Harvin the third. Versus uh, Jeff Hartman's uh, one true enemy in life, Jordan Barry. Uh, Jordan Barry's been punting the best football he's ever played in his career uh, somehow at this point uh, in the game. How is this going to shake out? Is this uh, is this for sure Presley's job? Are they going to try to trade Barry? Could, we, could it, we be blindsided here? It better be Presley Harvin's job. Uh isn't isn't this like the hottest training camp we've had? 
like weather we've had for training camp like in a long time. And Wednesday sure, is like, best. Yeah, like if, if he could go down and play in Arizona and they cancel all games after September, he'd be the best punter in the world. Like Jordan Berry would just be phenomenal. Uh, I hope it's not about because if you're taking preseason punts from a guy who has clearly shown he's better the warmer the weather is, if you're taking his play over the summer and you're ignoring what he does has done in the actual seasons when the games are colder and the the games matter and the weather's colder, uh, yeah, I don't I don't want that. Uh, I think Harvin has won the job. He is he is the best punter on this team, and I will be stunned and angry if Jordan Berry somehow has the Steelers get rid of Presley Harvin. As would I, Jeffrey Benedict, as would I. Now, we are at the top of the show, so is there anything you want to plug before uh, we uh, end things for the evening? Yeah, uh, Vertex came out today on the on BehindTheSteelCurtain.com uh, where we talked about, Dave and I talked about Ben Roethlisberger. It actually didn't get a whole lot of views. Go check it out, man. That Because I'm going to talk about the one play uh, where he Ben Roethlisberger threw the touchdown. Everyone talked about the pump fake that faked out the cameraman. It wasn't a pump fake. Ben Roethlisberger said, other people have said this. I'm not breaking any news here. But I actually go down through the play and what happened. And you can see it. It's a case where uh, Pat Fryermuth breaks past the, the linebacker. The safety is outside of him. Ben sees like a, a play that should be there, like what he should do. And Pat Fryermuth isn't on the same page. Go check it out. I lay it out really well. It's phenomenal how Ben Roethlisberger was able half partway into a throw, seeing that the tight end wasn't going to turn and look before the throw would have gotten there and just reins it in. And then is still able to nail that pass. And Fryermuth is able to bring down a tougher catch. Phenomenal, phenomenal play. Go check out that, uh, that vertex and go see that one. Uh, that's, that's really all I have. And my Breaking. show. My other show, uh, The Cutting Room Floor, and uh, watch that. Go listen to that and the live mic. Live mic's good, too. It, yeah, too, is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. Oh, thank you for that, Jeffrey. Now, um, I was going to say, oh, breaking news, Ben Roethlisberger's good at football. Who knew? But, uh, yeah, no, that's uh, – that's that, check out that Vertex. That play was incredible, and those articles deserve all the clicks in the world. Also, uh, if, if you want a hotter take, uh, I, I would argue that, that Ben Roethlisberger is the most physically talented, physical, pure physical ability uh, that the NFL has ever seen. I would argue that because people just can't do that. The things he's done over his career, other people just can't do. He, he's just phenomenal. And, and you can imagine if he had... Uh, if he had had the motivation and the leadership and the willingness to watch film that he has late in his career when he was able to throw, you know, Terrell Suggs to the ground with one arm, uh, he, he would probably have been one of the greatest quarter. He'd, he'd be on the short list of greatest quarterbacks in the NFL history. I mean, he's basically already there already. Yeah. Like, uh, imagine he's, uh... he's, he's like, it's hard because anyone in this generation is second tier. To Tom Brady, like that's just you just start with this guy won all the Super Bowls, but then there were also these other people. Yeah, womp womp. <laughs> Aside yeah. from that vertex, uh, we should also also remind you to click over to behindsteelcurtain.com, which should be your one stop shop for all things Pittsburgh Steelers, as uh, we like to say. Uh, tons of stuff from breaking news to commentary, film rooms, rankings. 
grades, you name it. We got it over on the website. So uh, make sure you're, you're clicking over to the website and click over multiple times a day. There's tons of content coming out. And speaking of tons of content, Jeffrey Benedict alluded to it earlier. There's 25 original podcast titles on our network now. So make sure you're clicking over to Spotify, Pandora, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from. Hit subscribe, hit like, five stars. Whatever it takes to uh, be uh, getting all these uh, great content from uh, BehindTheSteelCurtain.com, make sure you're doing it because uh, because it matters. It really does. It, it helps us out, helps uh, grow the brand more, and gives you even more of that great content we know each and every one of you love. So uh, on behalf of my co-host, Jeffrey Benedict, my name is Michael Beck. Thank you for listening to Know Your Enemy. We'll see you guys soon. When my Hello.